Father, we know that on a day like this, there are a wide range of emotions that are present in our hearts. Uh, For some of us, we had wonderful mothers uh, that taught us the ways of the Lord, and there is a sense of gratitude and thankfulness. Uh, But Lord, we also know that we live in a fallen world, and the reality is, is that there are at times relationships between mothers and daughters and sons uh, that is not as it should be. And sometimes days like this can be a reminder of that pain. Uh, Father, we also are mindful of uh, there is in a fallen world uh, women who are not able to have children. And days such as these can bring uh, painful uh, memories. So Father, in all of this, Your grace is sufficient. Your grace is sufficient for everything. So Father, this morning as we look at Your Word, as we reflect upon uh, the guidance that Your Word offers to mothers, the guidance that it offers to women, the guidance that it offers to all of us, uh, that we would willingly and joyfully Submit to its wisdom. That we would embrace it. And see that in your word there is life. That in your word there is joy. That in your word there is peace. In your word there is happiness. In your word there is contentment. All of these things because your word takes us to the cross takes us to Jesus, who takes us to the Father. And so, Father, as we look at Your Word, we pray that Your Spirit would awaken our hearts to its beauty and its glory. And Lord, we pray that You would accomplish Your good purposes in the midst of this congregation this morning. We are completely helpless outside of Your Spirit. So we pray that your spirit would guide us. In the name of Christ, we do pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, you can open up to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 31. And if you don't have your Bible, uh, you can look in front of you. There should be a red pew Bible in front of you. If you turn to page 552, page 552 in those red pew Bibles right in front of you, then you'll be at the place... Uh, that we'll be at this morning in God's Word. We'll be looking at the book of Proverbs, and specifically the last few verses in the book of Proverbs. As many of you may know, the book of Proverbs ends with uh, this uh, chapter, chapter 31, about this excellent or virtuous woman. Uh, and it is oftentimes, uh, people read this and they say, well, what in the world, uh, who can live up to this standard? Uh, and the reality is, is that none of us can outside of the grace of God and outside of the grace that Jesus Christ offers us. But as we think about men and women, uh, there are many similarities between men and women. Uh, But I think all of us would agree that there are also a lot of things that are different about men and women. And it's important to understand that those differences uh, are something that God has created in us, that He has wired men differently than He has wired women, that there are things that Uh, Women, and I'm speaking in general terms here, uh, that for the most part, women are more prone to certain types of things and men are more prone to certain types of things. And as we think about women, uh, I don't think that there are many women. I don't uh, know of any women. I've never met a woman that 
has, has denied the desire to be seen as beautiful or precious in the eyes of the beholder. And that is a God-given desire, I believe. And it's not something that men are as much uh, driven toward. And so you have this amazing passage here in Proverbs 31, where it begins in verse 10 by asking the question of, where is the virtuous wife or the virtuous woman or, or, or the excellent woman? She is far more precious than jewels. So it begins with this statement that I think drives at the heart of most women. Of where is this woman who is more precious than jewels? What is she? What is she like? What are her characteristics? What, what is it that makes her more precious than jewels? I was reminded of this uh, a reality of, of about the way God has wired women uh, a few weeks ago when uh, Kate uh, Middleton, whatever she is, the Duchess of Cambridge now, uh, married uh, Prince William. And I didn't get up at 4 o'clock in the morning to watch the wedding, but I did record it. Uh, and we watched it at lunch. And you can laugh at me, but I'll say this is another sermon. There are amazing insights that you can gain into a culture by watching a wedding like this and the way the gospel was portrayed. And anyway, that's, that's another story. But the point is, is that at some point, uh, Kate was getting about to get out of the car and uh, the announcer on the, uh, for, the, for the network I was watching said, Now here is the climax of the wedding. The bride is coming out, and she is about to appear. And so how true, this is, this is the climax of a wedding. Why is that? Why is the bride coming through the doors the climax of the wedding? Because of this idea that we desire to celebrate the beauty of a woman, and we know that she desires to be seen as beautiful in the eyes of a beholder. And even having a little girl, Karis is only four years old, but it's amazing how clear... This is evident in her own life and how clearly that God has wired her in such a way as she was watching this and completely mesmerized by what she was seeing on TV. And during one of the commercial breaks, she and Asher disappeared. And about three or four minutes later, they came back into the living room and she had this white dress on. And Asher was holding her arm and he had this sword standing. And, and he said, he said, I'm the guy with the red shirt. You know, Prince William had his red shirt on. And Kara said, I'm Princess Kate. And so this, this desire that God has, has instilled into women at, at birth to be seen as precious and to be seen as beautiful. In the eyes of the holder. And as you look at the end of this chapter here, in verse 28, where the, where the author writes, he says of this, this virtuous and excellent woman, he says, Her children rise up and call her blessed, and her husband also, and he praises her. And what mother, if you asked her, you know, at the end of your days, what would you give when all is said and done and the dust is settled? For your children to rise up and say that you are blessed. And for your husband to sing your praises. My guess is that most, if not all of you, would say, I would give anything for that. Whatever it takes. And whatever I need to do. That at the end of my days, my children rise up and call me blessed. And my husband sings my praises. And I am seen as precious in the eyes of my children, in the eyes of my husband. 
And as Peter talks about in 1 Peter chapter 3, that it's the gentle and quiet spirit that is precious in the eyes of God. That, that this ability to be seen as precious in the eyes of children and in the husband and even in the eyes of God. My guess is that that is a desire that all of you would long for and all of you would desire. So as we look at this proverb, we don't have time to go through all the verses, so we're just going to focus on verse 26, specifically verse 26. But if you read through this, there are are two things that are clear about this woman. That she is consumed and diligently devoted to the well-being of her household. She is devoted to their physical well-being and all these things that she's doing. She's purchasing things. She's selling things. And she has this wise eye for the way the world works. It's not for her own benefit. It's clearly for the benefit of her household, for her husband and for her children. And then at verse 26, what we're going to see is that she's also interested in the spiritual well-being of her children and her household. And as we think about motherhood, uh, there is not a vocation or position that requires more sacrifice than that of being a mother. Because being a good mother means that you are putting your own desires and your own wants and wishes behind that of your children and most of the time behind that of your husband. And it is a worthy task to be called to. But notice what it says in verse 26. We'll start in verse 25. It says that strength and dignity are our clothing. So the the proverb is is using this illustration here of referring to her strength and dignity. That's what she she clothes herself with. And she laughs at the time to come. And then notice in verse 26. It says, she opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Now what I want to do for the next few moments is kind of unpack this verse. What is it saying when, when, when the author here says that this virtuous woman, this excellent woman, this woman who is blessed by her children, this woman who, who is praised by her husband, this woman who is seen as precious in the eyes of her children and her husband and of the Lord. What is it that she is doing here? It says she opens her mouth with wisdom. Now when we think about wisdom, we... We often think about, well, it's, it's kind of knowledge that knows what to do, the right thing in the right situation. That it's able to apply God's Word. In one sense, that is what it means. But as we look at what wisdom means in the book of Proverbs, if you turn over to chapter 8, and you don't have to turn there, you can just listen if you want to. But it's clear in chapter 8 of the book of Proverbs is that wisdom is specifically identified as a person. And that person is the Messiah. The Son of God. And it's very clear in chapter 8 as you read through it that that wisdom shifts from this concept that's kind of out here to specifically being identified with the Son of God, the Messiah that God would send. And so we see in verse 10 and 11 of chapter 8 of Proverbs, it says that, Take my instruction instead of silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels. And all that you may desire cannot compare with her. So in one sense, it's this kind of object here that we desire. But then by the end of the chapter, notice how this chapter ends in in chapter 8. In verse 32, the author says, And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. 
Hear instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me. This is wisdom talking here. Blessed is the one who listens to me. Watching daily at my gates. Watching beside my doors. And verse 35. Wisdom saying, For whoever finds me, finds life, and obtains favor from the Lord. So this concept that ultimately wisdom will be displayed in Jesus Christ. The Messiah, God's promised one. And the author here is saying, If you find wisdom you will find life and favor from the Lord. So when we see here that this virtuous woman has wisdom upon her mouth, it is words that point to life. Words that give life. That she is pointing her husband and her children and her household in the way of life. And the Scriptures are very clear that God's Word is the way of life. And that it's His Word that leads to life. And so when you ask what is upon her mouth, what is she talking about? Is she consumed with with her neighbor's business? Is she consumed with what's going on in Raleigh? Is she consumed with what's going on at the church? She's not. What's upon her mouth is wisdom. And in the context of Proverbs, that wisdom is to be understood as life-giving wisdom. Wisdom that points to the Messiah whom we know to be Jesus Christ today. So as we think about this today, what is supposed to be upon our lips is wisdom, words and truths of the gospel. And this is further confirmed in the next part of the verse, where it says that the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Now some of your translations may say instruction of kindness or the instruction of love. But what this literally means here is the law of God's covenant faithfulness. So you have this word for law or instruction... And then this word for for kindness is the same word that is used throughout the Old Testament to refer to God's faithfulness in regard to His covenant with His people. So what you have here is this picture of this woman who is teaching wisdom and upon her tongue is she is declaring and talking about God's covenant faithful love to His people. And so one of the things that naturally we assume to be able to teach something, you have to know something. If you want me to come up here and teach about automobile engines, I have about three seconds of information. If your car doesn't crank, take it to somebody. And that's all I know. But if you want me to talk about other things, the Bible or theology or or basketball or baseball, I could talk for a long time about those things because I'm knowledgeable in those areas. So the fact that this woman is speaking about God's covenant love We know that she is knowledgeable of it. That she has meditated upon the Word of God. That she knows the Lord personally. Because she's able to talk of Him. And so, this morning, the first thing that we need to ask ourselves is, do we know God's covenant love? Which simply means, do we know the Gospel? Do we understand the fact that we are sinners separated from God? And that without God there is no hope. And that we can't save ourselves. And when when God entered into this covenant of grace with His people, it was completely His initiative. That in God's grace, He pursued us. He took the initiative to send Christ to the cross. He took the initiative to send His Spirit to work in our hearts. He took the initiative to send us His Word. And the Bible says that people have faith upon hearing the Word. So God is the initiator in all these things. 
And so this woman here is speaking of God's covenant love, the instruction of His covenant love that says that God is for His people and not against them. That He has taken the initiative to see that our sins are paid for on the cross. And that all who respond in faith to Jesus Christ enter into this covenant with God. So the first thing as a mother, as a lady, as anyone, as a man, we can't begin to teach someone else those things until we ourselves know it. And so if you this morning are looking to be seen as blessed by your children, to be praised by your husband and be seen as precious in the eyes of God, the first thing is that you need to commit yourself to this covenant of grace, this covenant love that this woman is talking about and teaching her household about. And that happens through faith in Christ. Saying, Christ is my King and there is no other. So this morning as we talk about this, and as we we think about this, most likely we're going to fall into different categories. Because the reality is, is that we all did not grow up in the same type of home. Some of us grew up in great homes where we had a mother who we could say, this verse right here, that's my mother. That is my mother. When she spoke, she spoke words of wisdom. She spoke the gospel. She spoke of God's love for His people. She spoke of Christ. She spoke of the death of Christ. She spoke of the need to have faith and to respond to Him. She did those things. And so my exhortation to you, if that's your situation this morning, is that you carry the banner to your own children. And that just as you can say that of your mother, that your children will be able to grow up and say that of you. So are you, if that was your situation as a child, are you being equally faithful in teaching your, your family, your children, your grandchildren, your nieces, your nephews, your neighbors? Are you being faithful like your mother was to teaching God's wisdom, to teaching the gospel to your children. But the reality is is that some of you didn't have mothers like that. You think, well, well, Corey, my mother was a lot of things, but she wasn't. Verse 26. In fact, she wasn't a very loving person at all. Kindness didn't come from her lips. Wisdom didn't come from her lips. She never mentioned anything about God. She never mentioned anything about the gospel. As far as I know, she's not even a believer. Just know that you have the ability through God's grace to break that trend. And just because your mother may not have been one who taught you the gospel, that doesn't mean that you cannot be a mother or a woman who does not teach the gospel. And so let the tradition begin with you in your family. So that you begin the legacy of faith. So maybe it wasn't there with your mother or your grandmother. But you have the ability to begin that legacy of faith through your own children. And you may be here this morning saying, well, Corey, I'm not a mother and I never was a mother or, or my children are not here anymore or I was never married. Whatever the circumstance, the situation, the reality is is that not everyone is a mother. And we have women in our our own congregation that were not married or didn't have children. You think, well, this doesn't apply to me. The reality is that it does apply to you. Because as Elwood so beautifully said this morning, 
he specifically where is that he specifically mentioned by name women who did not have children that were part of this congregation who taught him the gospel. And I can think about as a child, I grew up in a church very similar to Redbud. And as I was preparing this sermon and thinking about the application of this specific point, so many women came to mind from my own childhood. People, and I wrote them down just so, so you would know, you don't know these people, but I know them. And they're all gone, well most of them are gone and, and with the Lord now. Maggie Gordon, Stella Franklin, Jean Stewart, Effie Wilson, Gwendolyn Bean, Minnie Mae Harrell. These ladies that, whether it was in the hallway of the church, or whether it was in Sunday school, or whether it was at the store on Saturday morning, or wherever it was, when these ladies spoke to me, they spoke the gospel. They spoke the truth of Jesus Christ. They spoke of His death and His resurrection. They spoke of God's greatness. They spoke of the need to take the gospel to the nations. So many things that I learned as a child. I had great, uh, great. I have a great mother and father who loved the Lord. But everything I learned did not come from my mother and father. So much of what I learned came from older, wiser women in the church who taught me the ways of the Lord. Who were a picture of this. That when they opened their mouth, wisdom came out. And upon their tongue was God's covenant love, the instruction of His law, the instruction of the gospel, that He loves us, that He sent His Son to die for us. And those things that these ladies said to me are ingrained in my heart and have been instrumental in the Lord bringing me to where I am today. So don't for a minute be deceived this morning by Satan in thinking that just because you have no physical children, that you do not have a multitude of spiritual children. Several weeks ago, we looked at a passage in the Gospel of Mark where Peter said, well, Jesus, we've left you. What are you going to give us? And Jesus says to everyone who leaves his family for the sake of the kingdom, I will give you a hundredfold in mothers, fathers, brothers, and sisters. So you may not have a physical child this morning, but you do have spiritual children. We dedicated one this morning. There are numerous ones sitting right over here. Some of them are sitting next to you. They don't have to be a teenager to be your spiritual child. Some of them may be 40 or 50 years old, 60 years old. The point is that with age comes wisdom. With age comes more pain and difficulty. More experience in seeing the faithfulness of God. And seeing how God has proved true time and time and time again in your life. And you being able to speak the truths of the gospel into the lives of younger men and younger women. So this morning you may not be a physical mother, but know that you are a spiritual mother and take full advantage of that opportunity. And then the last thing is our men. The question that I have for each and every one of you is are you hindering or helping your wife or your mother or whoever it may be to be faithful to this passage? Are you hindering them or helping them? What do I mean by hindering them? You may not be verbally saying that, that oh, well, no, you're wrong. Why? You, know, you shouldn't be teaching our children this. But what are you teaching your children by your actions? Is your wife saying one thing 
And then they have to say, come up and say, well, well, mom, dad doesn't do that. Are you sending a opposite message to your children and to your family than that which, of which your wife is trying to teach? Or are you helping her? And as she talks of the gospel, the children are able to see in the life of the father these things lived out. Or maybe for some of you, you have been taught these things by your mother. And yet, if you were honest with me and honest with yourself this morning, you would have to admit, yeah, my mom was faithful in teaching me those things. Maybe my dad was faithful in teaching me those things. But the reality is, I have not taken hold of them for myself. Just know that when you stand before God, God's not going to ask you, did your mother, was your mother faithful to verse 26? He's not going to ask you that question. He's going to ask you, are you faithful to verse 26? Do you know the gospel? What did you do with my son Jesus Christ? Did you shame him by saying one thing verbally and living your life as you please? If so, just know that God will not deal lightly with that on the judgment day. Or have you embraced the Jesus in whom this covenant love centers around? Is your faith more than just showing up on Sunday? Is it more than just being here on Mother's Day so that you can make your mom happy? Or is it something that you have clung to for yourself and saying, these things that my mother taught me or my grandmother or that my Sunday school teacher, whoever, when I was a kid, I've come to the point now to realize that these things are true. And it's time to either to get on board or get off. To either Christ becomes king in your life and it changes your life or you just be honest with yourself and say, I don't want to waste my time. That there is no either or of trying to dance with the devil and the Lord at the same time. You cannot be king of your own life and at the same time claim that Jesus is your king. It has to be one or the other. So this morning as we close, my hope is that just as this woman was seen and praised by her children and her husband because she taught the gospel. That we as Redbud Baptist Church will be known as a church in this community and to the ends of the earth as a, as a, as a church where the gospel is taught. It's taught by our mothers. It's taught by our fathers. It's taught by our aunts and uncles and grandmothers. For we are intentional about not only just teaching children but teaching everyone the truths of the gospel. And then as we reflect on the last verse 30, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. What do our children learn from us? Do they learn that we are more interested in the 
physical outward beauty? Or do they learn fear of the Lord? Do they learn the gospel from us? Let's go to the Lord and pray.